Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we are in a series right now. This is the third week of the series called Running on Empty. Running on Empty. And I I know in many lives we can live frazzled, crazy, stressed, overwhelmed, feeling like uh, life's problems, challenges, schedules are overwhelming and hard to keep up with those things. Uh, that can be normal. Then we come into this time of year for many parents and students, it's exam time uh, or, or it's the time for the end of year uh, school formals or end of year school awards nights. Some of you have got two, three or four of those going on. We're coming into Christmas and work parties and catch ups with everybody that you haven't caught up with all year. You feel like you need to catch up with them in the next month, right? And so it's this can be this sense of being overwhelmed and, and stretched. And if we're not careful, after a little while, we'll find ourselves running on empty. And when you run on empty, life just seems too hard, too overwhelming, too difficult. Uh, you, you, you describe Often we describe ourselves when we get asked, how am I? Busy. I'm just busy. I'm just flat out. I'm just busy. I've heard it once said that if the devil can't make you bad, then he'll make you busy. And so busyness is not a badge of honor. In fact, busyness is something that's the reality of the world we, the, the, the world we live in. But, uh, you know, we're in a world where you, often you can't get away from work because of mobile phones and emails and uh, media and all sorts of things. And so we need to even be more deliberate to stop doing what we do so we don't run on empty. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 said this. He said, are you tired worn out burned out on religion then come to me get away with me and you'll discover your life i'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how i do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Keep company with me. This is Jesus. He's talking to a group of people who who have been burdened down by religious expectations, by by massive lists of rules who can never seem, seem to feel like they're measuring up with the requirements of the law of the Jewish people. And he's saying, guys, come to me. I'll, I'll make a sacrifice for you so that you can be right with God and you don't have to be right in your own strength. I'll help you discover the rhythms of grace and the rhythms of life. He said, later, come to me and I'll give you rest. This morning, I want to talk about the rhythm of life, the God-ordained rhythm of life. There is a, a song that was written years ago called The Rhythm of Life. I won't sing it to you today, but, but there, there, is a, there is a rhythm. And here's the thing, when, when the rhythm gets out of whack, everything goes wrong. So if, you, if you're a musician, how many musicians have we got in the house? How many, how many wannabe musicians have we got? How many think you're a musician, but you don't really play an instrument? What about an air guitar, air drums? Okay, there we go. Uh, When I was younger, at about 13 years old, I played the tuba in the Mafra Municipal Band. And uh, the tuba, I was 13, and it was pretty much bigger than me, and we would march, and this massive big thing, and I was this 13-year-old with a couple of old guys, and we didn't actually have anyone drumming in the municipal band, so the tuba represented the rhythm section. Boom, 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 
boom, boom, boom. That's, that was us. So we, we played along and we had to be one of the, the senior tuba players uh, had to make sure that we were keeping things in time because if we went too fast, it stuffed everything up. If we went too slow, if we were, if we were out of beat, if, there were, if we lost the rhythm, then it threw everything out of whack. The modern day rhythm section is the, is the drums and the bass and the rhythm guitar, and, and they, they keep the, the flow of things at a, correct, uh, at a correct rate, at timing. Try not to get too fast, try not to get behind, and keep the syncopation of the rhythm that is intended. And so you'll, you'll find if your car's out of whack and you take it to the mechanic, sometimes he'll say, oh, the timing's out. It's not running smoothly because the, the timing's out. You go and see the doctor sometimes. You're like, I don't feel myself. And one thing they might discover is you've got an irregular heartbeat. The timing's out. You've lost your rhythm. And God has ordained you and I to have a particular rhythm of life, an ordained rhythm that He created us for, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And he, he laid the pattern for that rhythm out at the very first week of the world. So he said, I'm going to show you the pattern of the rhythm that I want you to live the way that you're created. And so out of that pattern, you'll discover life. It's the rhythm of life. And it goes, we, we discover it in this, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after, Jesus, after God had spent six days creating the world, it says, Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Come on, very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Then chapter 2 goes on and says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. The rhythm of life includes a day of rest every seven days. And God himself, you would think that God could have pulled it all weaker. If anybody's strong enough to work seven days in a row without stopping, it would be God. But no, he was establishing a pattern a rhythm for the life of the created beings made in his image. He rested, he stopped. And so then God ordained um, this within the law of his Jewish people, of the Israelites. And he made it, when he, when he um, gave the Ten Commandments, commandment number four in Exodus chapter 20 was this, remember the Sabbath day. And this is what the seventh day was called, the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Holy means separate or distinctive from the others. Six days you'll do all your labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it or made it holy or sacred or separate. God did something at the beginning of time as a gift to human beings. A gift. 
not as a religious rule that had to be kept, but for a, a gift that would bring freedom to us. And it was the separation of a Sabbath day or a seventh day. Now, we were, Danielle and I went to Israel a couple of years ago, and we happened to be there on a, on a Sabbath day, or the Shabbat, as the Jewish people called them. And it was fascinating to watch the Jewish tradition uh, kick in on a Friday evening. And just a few minutes before the sun would set, uh, Jewish people would gather in neighborhoods on a Friday evening and they would begin their Jewish Sabbath. They would, uh, they would read a blessing uh, over the next 24 hours. They would share in three particular meals. They would go to the synagogue. Uh, they would, they, they would, they, there was specific um, prayers that they would pray around these sacred meals. It would, they would light candles on that Friday night to begin the Sabbath period. And then when, when there was three stars in the sky on Saturday night, that would be the end of the Sabbath. That's the, the 24-hour period, a Friday night through to a Sabbath. The, the Jewish people, their, their way of working was from sun up to sundown, and so this was, this was a gift to them, a gift of rest, a gift of stopping, a gift of drawing aside. Uh, it was a festival day. It was a day of freedom. When the Jews were, were slaves for 400 years to the Egyptians, they didn't have a Sabbath day. They worked seven days a week. And so when they got free from slavery, one of the first gifts that they re-embraced was, hey, we're out of slavery now. We can have our Sabbath again. We can rest. We can have a holy day, a day set apart to God that we were wired to live in, to get out of a slavery mentality. The world we live in continually wants to enslave people to a seven-day-a-week mentality. The world we live in right now wants people to be, be caught up in the busyness and the craziness of life and miss the rhythm that God created for you and I to live in, the rhythm that embraces a seventh day of rest. And so as, we, as time went on and the Jewish people would embrace it, uh, there, was, there was very high legalistic expectations. There was 39 prohibited kind of activities in the Torah that a Jewish person couldn't do. And, and even, it was quite funny, even when we were, we were in Israel on the Sabbath day, there was, there was a couple of elevators. There was a Shabbat elevator and then there were normal elevators. The Shabbat elevator would stop at every floor to save you having to push the button. There's quite a few ironies in the whole thing, so I'm, 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 I'm just keep moving on. There were certain things that, that, that weren't cooked on that day. There's a whole lot of um, principles behind it. And I, I just, bottom line, respect the understanding of the rhythm of life that God created us to live in rather than poking fun at the, the way they did it. I just respect that they did that. So when Jesus came along, uh, he, he came to a society that, where the, the Sabbath rules had actually begun to, what it meant to be freedom for people was enslaving people. And so he came along and he healed someone on the Sabbath and they said, you can't do that, that's work. And then he healed another person on the Sabbath and told him to get up and carry your, your stretcher, carry your mat, your begging mat. And as the guy walked away with his begging mat, they said, you can't carry your mat, that's work. And he healed somebody else and they, and they came to him, a man with a withered hand, and they, and they said, you cannot heal someone on the Sabbath. That's work. And, they, and obviously caught up with the whole point of what's going on, Jesus responded to, to those who accused him of working on the Sabbath. And he said this, uh, Jesus said to them, it's Mark chapter 2 and verse 27, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people 
and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus was making it very clear. This is God's gift. Don't make it requirements that are unrealistic. This is God's gift. And in His gift is freedom and there's healing and there's, there's good news available for us. And He said, Jesus essentially called Himself, I'm Lord of the Sabbath or I'm the Lord of rest. Jesus is the Lord of rest for you and I. And as, as uh, the New Testament church was birthed, what happened is they, what, uh, while Jesus was alive, he would meet every Saturday because Saturday was the seventh day. Every Saturday on the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue. He would, he would respect the rules, the traditions, and the life that was in the Sabbath. And because he lived under Jewish rule until he came and he died on the cross for our sin, which was in that moment an abolition of an old covenant and the beginning of a new covenant where we no longer need to live under the rules of the old covenant. Many kept meeting on the Sabbath. But what happened over time as as not just Jews were met with the the message of Jesus Christ, but but non-Jews, Gentiles they were called, the rest of the world. What happened with time is the church began to shift and instead of meeting on the seventh day, they began to meet on the the first day the day of Jesus resurrection and so over time the, for, for Christians Sunday the first day became the day of celebration the day of, of get, uh, gathering and remembering that Christ had risen from the dead so that we can have new life and in Colossians chapter 2 Paul makes it very clear when he says this don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or sabbaths So he spelt it out and said, guys, it's not about the day. It's not about being religious about which day it is. It's about the principle of the rhythm of life and the rhythm of rest that God has ordained for us. All right. Are we we making sense this morning? So I want to talk then, well, what the heck does that look like here on the Sunshine Coast in the 21st century? What does it look like for us to have a Sabbath-type experience, although we don't call it the Sabbath? Really, what does it look like to capture the rhythm that God has designed us to live, the rhythm of rest. And so I want to just draw out this morning four aspects of what a Sabbath would look like for you and I. And I understand that, and for Danielle and I, this has been an understanding of ours for many years and something that we've journeyed on. And there'll be seasons where I'll say it hasn't been awesome. And there'll be other seasons I'll say, hey, we've found that rhythm and everything's working because we've found and we're working within the rhythm of one in seven days off one in seven days off the day is not important I understand some of you are shift workers I understand some of you work away and work home there's probably people watching online and you're away for work and you're not really in charge of of your your schedule but what we need to understand is if we ignore the way we were created with the need for a one in seven day rest it will be to our own peril physically emotionally mentally and spiritually it will eventually catch up with us if we ignore the principle of the way God's wired us in fact we as the church are supposed to be countercultural. we're supposed to create something so when everyone's crazy and busy and, and, and whacked out we're supposed to be able to go hey one day a week we recenter, yeah. we reset yeah. we refocus 
we, give, we get our priorities back in order. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about four aspects for us to build into our one in seven, our, our day in seven. And for, for some of you, this journey, it might not be that it starts on, on a, it might be that it starts on a Saturday night and goes to a Sunday night. For some, it might be it starts at Saturday lunch, goes to Sunday lunch, some Friday. Some, some you're like, okay, to get this started, I'm going to go with two half days just to get this rolling. But here's the principle. Just start working towards the one in seven day rest principle. All right. So there's four things. They all start with R just because I'm a Gen Xer and that's what we do. It's called alliteration. All right. The first one is rest. Okay. The rhythm of life, your Sabbath experience, the day of rest needs to incorporate rest. The core part of rest is stopping what you do six days a week vocationally. Okay, you do, whatever you do, six days a week, you're like, well, I'm a gardener and I work and I mow lawns. Well, on the, your day of rest, you don't garden or mow lawns, even your own. If you're a mechanic, six days a week, you're a mechanic. But on that seventh day, you stop being a mechanic. If you cut hair uh, as a hairdresser, six days a week or five days a week, on that seventh day, you stop doing that particular thing that you do for vo vocationally. Uh, if, if you're looking after your home, you, you, your way of doing this is to go, okay, there's a day of rest. That doesn't mean I can just put the kids in the laundry tub and leave them for the day, okay? But in terms of, in terms of the way I organize my life, it actually takes a bit of planning and preparation to plan for a day of rest, okay? But it's the, the principle of rest is I stop doing what I do. I'm not teaching. I'm not running my business. I'm not, I'm not working on my business. I, I'm not sneaking and looking at my emails on my day of rest because that will take me into another zone. Uh, if, my, if my social media is work-related, I'm not social mediaing on my day. I'm stopping and withdrawing from the thing that, get, that is work for me. Okay, that's the principle. Gee, God, he created for six and then he stopped. He stopped work. Now, sometimes there's a season of craziness that we go through. Sometimes there's, there's a time where you're like, this is, this is just ridiculous, and I'm, I'm going to try and find chunks to get through that season. What we have to be careful in our workaholic world is that the season of what we call a season becomes life. And then we get trapped in the trap of busyness. Okay. Uh, the change of pace on that day. So if it's a day of rest, it's a, it means it's a change of pace. It means physically slowing down. It might, it might mean extra sleep. It means that you're, you're just drawing aside. And for some people who have bought up in a particular way with a, maybe a very strong Protestant work ethic and your dad never sat down and never rested or if you ever were seen sitting down, you were told you're lazy. We actually have to learn to rest, to stop, to do nothing. And it's okay. Now, not for the whole day, but we actually have to change the internal pace. Uh, two weeks ago, I preached about our gauges and the understanding of adrenaline that spikes when, we're, when everything's happening and everything's going exciting. Uh, and, and if we're not careful, the, the, that adrenaline running seven days a week will eventually wear us out. The Sabbath is God's antidote to, the rent, to adrenaline running all the time, withdrawing and stopping. So the first part, the, the first part of the Sabbath day or, or the, the principle of rhythm is to rest. Just look at your neighbor and stop it. Just say, stop it. You need to look at, look at your other neighbor and say, stop working one day a week. 
Russell and Marita, you don't need this message today. It's okay. Number, number two, rest, rest. Okay, number two, relationships. Relationships. Now, here we go. The, the, first, the, the, the first most important life-giving rest to your soul-giving relationship is our relationship with God. Jesus said these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For some people, rest is a sign of weakness. For some people, rest means laziness. But Jesus wants us to find a place of rest in our soul, rest in our spirit, peace, not striving, not trying to overachieve. Not, if your identity is tied to your achievements, you'll find it very hard to rest. Let's let that sink in. If your identity is tied to your achievements, you'll find it very hard to rest. If you're driven by uh, impressing God with everything you do, you'll find it hard to rest. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The first point of, our, of, of a Sabbath day type experience, the one in seven, is that it's not a rest from God. It's a pushing into God. It's a plugging into the one who is the God of rest. He's the God of peace. So making time for, for connecting with God in your one in seven days is, is pivotal. The way Jesus did it, we, we discover in Luke 4 verse 16, it says, when he came to the village of Nazareth where he grew up, his boyhood home, he went, I love this, as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Jesus' custom and the, the, the normal way for a Sabbath to be accelerated in Jewish custom and then the, the, the first day of the week was to get in church, to be together, to be worshipping, to hearing the scriptures and to draw near to the key relationship who's the life giver for every one of us. For many of you today is not your work that you do six days a week. There's probably only a handful of us where, where what we're doing right now is, a, is an extension of our working week. For many of us, although we're volunteering, although we're doing different things, it's not a work day. It's actually a different day to our vocational work. And so to be in the house of God, drawing near to Him, is a great way of staying centered. It's a great way of, of keeping our relationship focused. It's a great habit to develop that will just keep your priorities from getting out of whack and drawing near to the key relationship that's the life giver. It's the relationship with God. If you're here this morning and you've never actually entered into a relationship with God, maybe you're watching online and you've never said yes to God, I want to have a relationship with you. Maybe you didn't realize it was possible. At the end of the service, we're going to pray. I'd love to lead you in a prayer where you make a commitment to say, God, I'd like to start doing things your way. My way is not working out so good. It's leaving me empty. It's leaving me with a gap. And I want a relationship with God. When you come into that relationship with God, He's a life giver. He pours love and peace and joy into our heart. So the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day, the seventh day is about rest, about relationship. And so that relationship is not just with God, but then it's, it's key relationships that are life-giving. One day a week, it's great to go, all right, I'm stopping from that. 
and I'm going to invest into some key relationships, meaningful relationships, relationships that, that lift me up, that keep me buoyant. That, uh, and there's all sorts of ways that we do that. Now, this is going to depend. You finding out your rhythm of Sabbath will be different from someone else's rhythm. If you're an extrovert who gets recharged by being with people, your Sabbath will, will have a lot of people time in it. If you're, a, if you're a, an introvert who gets recharged by being alone, your Sabbath might have a lot of solitude in it. But it's important, no matter whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, that meaningful relationships stay as a priority in our life because meaningful relationships are life-giving. I, I grew up and my family, uh, under, we were farmers, and then my, when my parents retired, I still lived at home, uh, we had a, a one night a week. It was a, a Sunday night for us. There was no Sunday night church in those days. And Sunday night was family night. And, and we, I, we grew up with, and the food wasn't spectacular. It would be tomato and cheese on toast or make your own or whatever. It wasn't about the food. But we would have people come around and our family, and they'd usually be, my parents would call them just strays. People that, like nicely, just people who didn't have a home, didn't have any friends. And our home would always have a couple of young guys normally in our house with my brother and I. And we'd be playing cards or board games and just investing in relationship. It was laughter and it was light, but it was light life-giving to know we're slowing down one night a week as part of our Sabbath experience and investing in key relationships. So that's relationships. We're resting. We're stopping what we do vocationally. We're investing in relationships, our relationship with God and then our relationships with one another. What, what a thought that on Sunday morning you might go, well, I come to the 8.30 service and then I go out for a coffee with some friends after church or have it, have it in the car park, but we go and we have lunch and we, we just invest in relationships because it's life-giving. It's part of the rhythm of my Sabbath day. Okay, the third thing here is reflection. Reflection. They asked... I heard this in the 1990s. They did a survey of people in their 90s. If you had your lifetime all over again, what would you do differently? Great question. What would you do differently? And there, there came lots of different answers, but there was a theme of three particular things that people wished if they had their time over again that they could do these three things. Uh, the first one would be to take more risks. People just said, oh, I wish I'd stepped out of my comfort zone. I wish I'd said, yes, Jess. I wish I'd, I'd taken a risk and done things that I didn't think I could possibly do. Maybe traveled more, maybe taken financial risks, whatever it is, I wish I'd taken more risks. The second one is I wish I'd done things that would live, uh, that I would be remembered for after I died that I would leave a legacy, not just live for myself, but live for the impact of others. And for us as a church, we're living for, to see lives transformed for an eternal legacy so that people's lives will be changed and people will be in heaven who wouldn't have been in heaven if it wasn't for us living a life beyond ourselves. And the third thing they said is, I wish that I'd taken more time to reflect because life was too busy. And if you don't take time to reflect... Your priorities get out of whack. Things don't, you, you don't appreciate the good things that are going on. You don't establish your future. And so for each of us, this is, this is what God did. After six days, the, the scripture of Genesis said this, he looked over all that he made and he saw that it was very good. God's process of his seventh day rest started with reflection. It's been an awesome six days. Man, I've achieved a lot. 
Look at that. That's, look at those giraffes. That, who, who came up with that idea? That was brilliant. He looked and he saw the creation. He saw Adam and Eve. He, he looked at the smile and the joy that was in them and, and the creation that he's made. And inside he said, it's very good. And he rested. He reflected. Reflection. And Teresa talked about reflection last week in her sermon. It would be great if you weren't here to get the podcast. And reflection can look like a number of different things. It, it, it can look formal and organized where you've got some questions and you sit down and you're going through those. But for me, part of the, the important part of reflection or contemplation is actually doing nothing and letting what's in our heart and mind come to the surface. Not suppressing, but letting it come to the surface. And we live in a world where it's hard to do nothing. Because if I'm doing nothing, my default is to pick up that little device and see if my team has drafted any new AFL player in the last three hours. That's just, you know, that's where I go to on my apps, like the AFL app. Something excited happened? No, another. Anyway, we move on. So you, we, it's just so easy to grab that thing and just by default live out or turn on the TV or check the emails or whatever it might be. That, that We're living in a wired world and so we've got to learn to be unwired and to unplug and just, go, you know, just disconnect and allow what's going on in our heart and in our mind to reflect, to defrag, to let it flow to the surface. And that's an important part. So the process of reflection, for me, I believe it's good to have a place that you can go on a regular basis in your rhythm of rest and go, all right, well, you know, what I do is I just get out in the garden for a couple of hours. Now, if you're a gardener, that won't work. If like you're a full-time gardener, find another place okay but just you might get out in the garden it might be a beach we love to go to the end of our uh, the end of our street and sit for an hour or so and and, and just watch the waves and watch people and it's, it's a beautiful zone uh, so it's a place maybe it's your back patio or your porch maybe it's your your bed or your bedroom maybe it's your favorite coffee shop maybe it's going for a drive in the sunshine coast hinterland or up sunshine beach where all that beautiful waves and ocean is maybe it's a bushwalk maybe it's mountain climbing maybe it's just a place that you go, but when you go there, you're, uncon- you're subconsciously unplugging and giving yourself space to process. And sometimes in that reflection time, uh, personally, I'll journal, or Danielle will just take some time to reflect and journal and get the thoughts out. Or often, yesterday uh, was a, a, our rest day, and so I went for a drive uh, just to nowhere in particular, and I had worship music on, wound the windows down, and I just had a couple of hours, a bit of singing, a bit of worshiping, but a bit of nothing, and letting, just letting the thoughts come and go. Come and go, come and go. And at the start, it's like, I don't like the thoughts that are coming and going. I don't want to do this. Like, because, and this, in our world, a lot of people don't like silence because the thoughts that come up in silence scare them. But that's actually a healthy part of life, letting the thoughts come up. And then we came back and, and I invested in a meaningful relationship and we had lunch and we just talked the last couple of hours. What have you mused about? What have you talked about? What have you thought about? I tell you, it's cathartic and it's healthy to make sure you have times of reflection or contemplation. The Bible tells us Jesus would often withdraw and spend time with his father. David tells us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It says he leads me beside still waters. And in the process of getting beside still waters, 
He restores my soul. Unplug, reflect, and let God wash out the, the, the challenges of our soul and our mind. And then the, the fourth thing here is recreation or recreation. Recreation really means to recreate part of your world, your soul. How do I recreate so that my soul keeps being brought alive? Because it's being drained by pressure, stress, and anxiety, and busyness. So how do I recreate every seven days? What do I do? What do I do when the battery's gone down and I'm recharging? What What does recreation look like for you? Again, permission from God to discover what recreates your mind and your soul and your heart. Permission from God to go on a journey of discovering hobbies, of discovering things that energize you in a good way, not drain you, but energize you. For many people, you might have heard this expression, oh, that person is working in a soul-destroying job. Have you heard that expression? It's soul-destroying. It's just monotonous. There's no purpose to it. It's over and over, and it's soul-destroying. This is why God's created you with spiritual gifts. He's put things inside of you that when you discover your spiritual gift and you begin to use it, and separate to your vocation, but you begin to use it for the glory of God, you'll find instead of being soul-destroying, it will be soul-fulfilling. And it'd be crazy, and this is amazing. Vicky Rutsch, who got an award on, on um, this week on our, our um, Dream Team... Uh, Celebration! I'll get it out there. And then the same with the gentles. And the comments they made to us, this doesn't feel hard. This feels awesome. It's a pri- Why are you awarding me for something that I do that is life-giving and rewarding for me? And the point of it is they've discovered their gifts and they're serving in their sweet spot and it's actually energizing them. That's counterintuitive for many people because often it's a little bit like exercise. You go, oh, I'm tired and I don't have energy, so I really think I should do nothing. But often what I need to do is exercise because if I sow energy, I'll reap energy and I'll find that I get fitter and get more energy in my life. It's the same with discovering your spiritual gifts. That's what our week three is about today. You, you discover your gift and you think, oh no, shouldn't I just not be doing anything? I'm doing, I'm doing stuff all week. But when you discover your gift and you start to use it to bless others, it actually becomes soul energizing. It's recreation. It's the way God's wired you. There are, there are other things, aesthetic things, creative things, art, music, nature, woodwork, gardening, Surfing, fishing, getting out on a motorbike, horse riding, playing golf, playing board games, playing sport, all sorts of different things. Here's a great journey permission. Within that 24-hour period where you're investing into rest and slowing down, when you're investing into key relationships, your relationship with God and your relationship with, with key people that lift you up, when you're spending time in reflection, It might just be half an hour or an hour, but it's part of your day. And then you're discovering what what recreates me, what's recreation, what's life-giving. And what for one person is life-giving, for another person would be a nightmare. You're like, what do you mean you collect stamps and you love it and it's energizing? What do you mean you love going in and being with the little kids on a Sunday morning? You're like, that's my worst nightmare. How does that re-energize you? Well, that's the way you're wired. What do you mean playing an instrument re-energizes you? 
recreation. Find your God-designed recreation. And don't get stuck in a loop. Try another one. There is a rhythm that you're created to live your life with, a rhythm of life, and it includes a one in seven. I'd like us to pray together right now. Let's close our eyes right across this room. Father, I thank you for your presence here. And I'm asking that you'd help us to live life within the rhythm that you've created us to live, to discover our modern day Sabbath, to discover what it is to rest. As we embrace the discipline, let us discover the joy and reward of living the rhythm of life you've designed us to live. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you so much.